Hello and welcome to another edition of Mostly Weather. I'm Helen Roberts, socio-meteorologist, and co-host today is Jeff Norwood-Brown, cloud spotting extraordinaire. Hi, Jeff. Hello. And today we're joined by a very special guest and friend of the podcast, Gavin Pretopini, founder of the Cloud Appreciation Society. Hi, Gavin. Hi there. How are you doing, Helen? Really good, thanks. Lovely to have you with us today. Always a treat to have you on the show. And there's a special reason that Gavin is joining us today. It's because this episode is not only about clouds, but it's about one particular type of cloud that's quite different from all the others. They're called noctilucent clouds. So, Gavin, first of all, can you give us an overview of what noctilucent clouds are and why they're that little bit different to other clouds? It's mostly because the noctilucent clouds are different because of their altitude. They are the highest clouds in our atmosphere. And it's not like they're just a bit higher than all the weather clouds we're used to. They're a lot higher. Uh, so all the weather clouds that uh, we think of when we talk about clouds forming the bottom part of our atmosphere, the troposphere, and that might be 10 miles up from uh, from the surface. Uh, but these clouds are more like 50 miles and 80 kilometers up. Um, and so they're in a much higher part of the atmosphere. And the reason this um, gives them this term, this name, Noctilucent, is because you can only see them once the rest of the sky is dark uh, and they're night shining. The, the name means night shining in Latin uh, and it's the way that they catch the light when the sky has turned dark. That's so interesting that they're, they're way up in the, the atmosphere, way outside of the, the part of the atmosphere that most of us at the Met Office normally focus our attention. So they really are very special and very different. And, and have you ever seen them, Gavin? What do they look like? Well, I think I've seen them once. I mean, I'm based in Somerset. And one of the things about these noctilucent clouds is you can't spot them all times of the year, nor can you spot them in all parts of the globe. Um, they also have this name polar mesospheric clouds. And the mesospheric part is to do with how high they are, because they're up in the top of the mesosphere, and we can talk about that in a minute. The polar part is um, to do with the fact that you only really see them at higher latitudes, whether in the northern or summer southern hemisphere. Uh, and so from where I am down in the southwest of England, right on the edge of where they're ever spotted, the southernmost edge of the of the latitude range. Um, and so I think I've seen them once, but I know that um, I missed them one time recently when they were down in the, in the south of England. And I know that other members of the Cloud Appreciation Society spotted them. So I was kind of kicking myself afterwards for having missed them <laughs> that night. Uh, most of the time you've got to be up in uh, sort of Northern Ireland, Scotland, Northern England to be uh, to be pretty sure of seeing them on a regular basis. You've got lots of, of pictures on, on the Cloud Appreciation Society website, so people can go there and have a look if, if they want to get a better idea. There's four main types, is that right, Gavin, of not to lose yeah. the cloud? Four main types, but they're only really defined uh, in terms of their appearance or their kind of patterns, really. Um, so they're not so much 
Um, and I should say, by the way, with all of this stuff I'm going to talk about, a lot of it is sort of what we think. Um, but one of the factors about clouds forming at this part of the atmosphere is that they're kind of in a range that is very difficult to study. Um, they are um, too high for things like weather balloons, uh, about 80 kilometers, 85 kilometers maybe, too low for the International Space Station. So they're in a kind of in-between in zone where uh, it's a little bit hard to kind of get hard facts. Um, but yeah, the uh, the four types are more just to do with their appearance. Mm -hmm. Sometimes they are in kind of the most common ones that I see have, or the most sort of noticeable have these rippled appearances to them. They're known as billows, that type. I think that'd be number three. <laughs> and they look like lots of um, regular kind of ridges, perhaps like the sand you feel under your foot as you're walking along the beach, but super high up in a dark sky. And they were the kind of ghostly bluish white appearance to them, which all noctilucent clouds have that that kind of ghostly bluish hue. So, so those billows are one type. You also get veils which are more um, tenuous and uh, they don't have so much structure, more, just more a kind of a general um, whitening. Then you get bands, long streaks that um, you know, they're kind of parallel as well, but they're more into sort of long streaks across the sky. And then sometimes, although I've never seen very many of these, you, you get them in uh, type number four, which is in the shape of sort of whirls um, uh, or kind of rings. Um, sometimes I wonder if those things are to do with uh, with uh, rocket launches, but we can get up uh, to those later on, perhaps. Absolutely. Just before we move on to some of the, the more sciencey stuff, Jeff, you spent a lot of your early career observing the weather and uh, you're very familiar with different cloud types. Have you ever seen noctilucent clouds? No. <laughs> <laughs> no um, I, I don't think so. Um, uh, I, I think if I have, it was before uh, I joined the Met Office, so I probably wasn't aware of what I was actually looking at at the time. Um, but um, yeah, no, they they, they are, and of course I'm, I'm I'm in Devon as well, so the less chance of seeing them down here. But I grew up in the in the northwest, which is only 53 degrees north. Um, but um, yeah, I don't. If I have, it, it was yeah before I joined the Met Office, so I probably wasn't um, too familiar with what I was looking at. Yeah, I, I don't think I've seen them either, but um, I've really enjoyed looking at, at some of the imagery um, over the last couple of days uh, ahead of this chat. They really are stunningly mm. beautiful and it's always there's something special about seeing something that is quite rare. I, I, a little bit like maybe seeing the, the northern lights. Um, there's something quite, quite special about them, I think. Yeah, I've not seen and... them either. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the, um, I mean, they say that the range of latitudes is between 50 degrees and 70 degrees, whether we're talking northern or southern hemisphere. So, you know, if Britain, the British Isles extend from about 50 to, to 60, you should, in theory, it should be possible to see them right across the British Isles. But... Um, 
the lower latitudes are sort of around that 50 range is much less frequent than than higher up and so yeah you then of course you have to think about the time of year because they don't appear all through the year do they do you know about that, yeah, that Helen? yeah that's right so so tell us more about this of course it's dependent on which hemisphere you're in as well yeah they they are a, a summertime cloud um and so we're talking um may throughout the sort of summer months so i'd say may through august um is when in the northern hemisphere you're going to see them and we're more like sort of november to february in the southern hemisphere and um yeah so you've got we're, we're just beginning the potential time for noctilucent clouds mm. at the start of may now um and there are different theories as to why they foremostly uh, appear only in the summer but um it is largely it seems to do with the temperatures up at the top of the mesosphere where these clouds form and there's a slightly countercultural thing to do with um it's colder up there in the summer mm. when it's summer down here than uh, than it is when it's winter down here yeah, that's really interesting. So, so what sort of temperatures are we are we talking about for the formation of these clouds? Um, well, they seem to form at around minus one hundred and twenty degrees Celsius. That's minus one eight four Fahrenheit. This part of the atmosphere, the top of the mesosphere, eighty eighty five kilometers, it is the uh, it's the coldest is the world's coldest environment basically and um so they seem to only form when that coldest environment is at its coldest mm. um and that is um more common in that's more likely in the summer months because my understanding of that is because the troposphere down here below where it's warmer expands a little bit in the summer and yeah. so the top of the troposphere is a bit higher when everything else gets pushed up when then the atmosphere is um elevated um it expands a bit and cools a bit and so i think it is that's the kind of countercultural thing the lifting of the upper atmosphere is a result of warmth in the lower atmosphere means this cloud forms in the summer. Yeah, that's right. And something I find really interesting about the way in which these clouds form is that because the temperatures are so low, we can get um, the ice crystals forming directly from water vapour, whereas more usually the clouds that we see more regularly in the troposphere tends to have to form um, around some kind of particle, what we call condensation nuclei, you can get ice directly forming from the water vapour at those sorts of temperatures, although they do also form around particles of dust and other condensation nuclei. And that brings us back to, you briefly mentioned earlier, Gavin, uh, rocket exhaust. So that's one yeah. source of, of potential uh matter for for these clouds to or this water vapor to condense around yeah well that the the, the yeah, rocket um exhaust can both provide moisture water vapor up into this this very dry part of the atmosphere i mean they say um that 
up at this part of the mesosphere, it's um, very little moisture. It's about a hundred millionth that of uh, the moisture down near the ground and over the Sahara. Um, I don't know what that means exactly, but that is <laughs> how it's, it's really it's, it's really hard to quite imagine what a place that's that cold and that dry would feel like. Yeah, not very hospitable at not all. Really. Uh, but it is for these clouds because they um, uh, they seem to be forming uh, more frequently and uh, we can come to that later maybe but the um, the question of whether they are forming on to specks of dust of some sort um, aerosols up at that level it's always been assumed that they have been forming on them and there were you know, speculations about what those particles, the seeds onto which these ice crystals could form, what they were. Um, there's some evidence that uh, the particles um, which some of them form on uh, come from meteorites, from um, meteor smoke, which I guess is the tiny particles as a result of meteors breaking up in the high atmosphere. But as you say, there's also evidence that these ice crystals can form without any uh, nucleus onto which they get started. And that's really quite unusual because all the clouds down here near the ground, the familiar weather clouds, the cirrus, the cumulus, the cumulonimbus, the stratus, all of those require water and little tiny specks onto which that water can start to condense or freeze. And there's plenty of those aerosols of dust or salt or smoke or, you know, biological um, particles in the air and pollution, plenty of those down here in the ground. It seems that with these noctilucent clouds, one of the unusual things about them might be that they they form without any specs on to get onto which to, they can get started. But if the if you say that the increasingly being spotted, that that would indicate that something's changing. Then um, when when was the first incidents of these being recorded? Do you know? Well, the first um, kind of written record of clouds forming or appearing it's sort of in the night shining in this way was in 18, 1885 I believe and it came just a year or so after the huge eruption of Krakatoa um, and this volcanic eruption had a big effect on the skies around the world and it was not long after that that um, there was a kind of Victorian craze of sunset um, admiring because the sunsets got deep red and crimson as a result of all the ash, the volcanic ash thrown up into the atmosphere. And when a little bit after, a year or two after the eruption, these um, shining kind of night clouds clearly very high in the atmosphere were first spotted it was just assumed that they it was more volcanic dust um, and volcanic ash possibly that was involved with those older uh, those early sightings 
providing, having thrown up there some of these particles onto which ice could form. But that wasn't the only, the only factor because since then, over all the years since then, noctilucent clouds have started to be spotted more and more frequently over larger and larger regions of the world. And I was reading that they are far more commonly spotted in the northern hemisphere compared with the southern hemisphere. And I guess there are a few reasons why that might be, not least because there are larger land masses in the northern hemisphere, um, more people to spot them, but also, I guess, potentially more sources of those sort of aerosols and, and dust particles reaching upper parts of the atmosphere. Yeah, I mean, the last one we had sent in to the Cloud Appreciation Society, the last spotting was in the Northern Hemisphere in December. And that oh, wait wow. a sec, you go, that can't be a not to lucent cloud, because remember, these are the summertime clouds. And it was spotted in uh, near San Francisco, just south of San Francisco. Um, again, that's a little bit too far south for um, these clouds. And then it, uh, I had a look at the photograph that got sent in by one of our members and I could go, and it definitely was not dilutant clouds, but it, whenever you see them on the west coast of the US, you immediately start thinking of um, rocket launches. And ah. it, it was just a day, I think, after a SpaceX rocket launch from santa barbara they send them up from santa barbara i believe uh south, further south in california and that was clearly kind of what had introduced the moisture up into that part of the atmosphere in order to form so i mean i guess you've got more rocket launches going on in the northern hemisphere as well and that might be affecting things that's fascinating so so fairly frequently these clouds are anthropogenically formed well, yes, but also maybe in a much broader way, they might be anthropogenically formed. And this is something scientists have been studying and trying to understand uh, for really quite some years now, uh, because there's been a hypothesis that perhaps the growing number and frequency and distribution of these clouds might be linked more generally to our warming climate, to our changing climate. Um, there's been some, uh, a study in 2018 looked into the possibility that methane emissions might have an effect on uh, the water up in this high part of the mesosphere, because apparently if methane gets up into this region, uh, it can go through a chemical reaction that ends results in water uh, being produced. Um, and yeah, so that was sort of one thought methane that could be the result of um, human activity down here. Um, and also there's been speculations about, well, a warming climate might mean a cooling, more frequent cooling up at that region of the atmosphere as well. I mean, so much so this interest in a link between noctilucent clouds and uh, the warming environment. Um, NASA put up a satellite in 2007. It was called the AIM 
satellite. Um, and 2007, that was specifically to study these noctilucent clouds, to try and get an understanding of uh, what, how they form and if they're giving an indication of um, somehow being linked to our changing climate. It was only about a month ago, actually. It was only supposed to last two years, that um, experiment. And just about a month ago in, I think it was April, um, the battery ran out and they stopped getting um, data from this AIM satellite. But it's been used, uh, the data from that, observing noctilucent clouds from above has been used in a lot of studies to try and understand these clouds. Well, that would be so interesting to see some of the results from, from that piece of work. And as I understand it, we have some Met Office colleagues researching the, the methane aspect of, of noctilucent clouds as well. So um, it's, yeah, really evolving and, and fascinating area of research. Um, so just just before we we wrap up, going back to how people can best try and see these clouds, um, and there's there's another type of cloud which people may get a little bit confused with, which is um, nacreous nacreous clouds. Yes. So yes. tell us about those and and the difference differences there. Yes. So nacreous clouds. Um, are characterized not so much by this ghostly blue appearance, um, but they are um, rather similar in the sense that they you notice them after the sun has set or before the sun has risen. Um, nacreous clouds, also known as mother of pearl clouds, they have a more official name, which is polar stratospheric clouds. So remember, noctilucent ones are the polar mesospheric. The um, nacreous clouds are polar stratospheric, and that means that um, we've, we're a lower part of the atmosphere. We're just above the bit where our weather happens, more like 15, 20 kilometers up for these um, nacreous clouds. And they're named nacreous because they show this Often they show the quite intense iridescent colouring when the sun's down just over the horizon. And this is a little bit when the sun hasn't dipped quite so much just over the horizon. Um, that's when its sunlight can catch these um, stratospheric clouds. And as it does so, the sunlight is diffracted, it's bent as it passes around the particles of these clouds, and this can separate out the wavelengths and give them this intensely beautiful um, mother of pearl coloration. So yeah, your classic um, nacreous clouds would have mother of pearl colors and would appear uh, a little bit later in the morning, a little bit earlier in the evening, within maybe an hour or so of the sun before it rose or after it dipped uh, over the horizon. Whereas noctilucent, you never see those colors. They're bluish, if anything. They do feel higher up. They do sometimes have these rippled appearances to them uh, and they are more in the night. So you might spot them 
uh, 11 30 midnight even if you're, if you're staying up in the evening they might be 3 a.m something like that uh, 4 a.m if you're an early riser <laughs> and um and yeah, from uh, for the higher latitudes, you'd be more likely to see them. Uh, so the the more north you are uh, in the British Isles, it's it's brilliant if you're somewhere in you know uh, the north of Canada, or if you're in um, the I don't know Scandinavia, somewhere like that. Yeah. Um, uh, but down in the southern hemisphere, you'll probably find not so much landmass is um, in uh, beneath the uh beneath the kind of regions where you can see not to lose in clouds yeah and you're looking to the uh off to the western northwestern horizon if it's sunset maybe northeastern uh direction if it's sunrise uh and yeah you've got to be prepared to be a nighttime cloud spotter absolutely so just to recap it's we're just coming in in the northern hemisphere to the the sort of season of looking for for not to lose the clouds at the moment most of the uk should be able to see them but the further north generally the better obviously clear skies are required so keep an eye on the the met office forecast um and you'll probably have to be a, a early riser or or late to bed but yeah, happy cloud spotting as always. I don't know, Gavin, if you have any tips for photography, because that's definitely not something I have any expertise with. But are there any ways yeah. that you can get some good photographs if you are lucky enough to see them? Yeah, I mean, the um, the by far most important thing is a tripod um, because the light um, that is reflected from these high clouds is not bright. Um, and this is why we never see them during the daytime, because this um, uh, this looks like, I mean, during the daytime, they are there and they are reflecting mm -hmm. the sunlight, but the rest of the sky is far brighter then these clouds appear. Mm. Um, it's only when the rest of the sky, the lower part of the sky is in the Earth's shadow. And so most of the atmosphere that normally makes the sky appear blue um, is in the darkness, your domain, it is darker. Um, and that allows just the faint light of these noctilucent clouds to appear. Um, so you've got to be prepared to have your camera on a tripod with a slow yeah. exposure. Modern smartphones are getting really quite good at these long exposures. And, you know, even if you're holding them in your hand, a little bit of shake, they can kind of work out what's moved they can use the location of stars to kind of adjust to make up for the kind of wobble of your hand so they're getting really pretty good but anything other than the latest smartphones you probably want to have something on a on a tripod so have any of your just going back to the very beginning of the uh, conversation have any of your members spotted any of these uh, whirls or uh, or spirals that you mentioned Oh, now that's a good question. You know, Jeff, I would have had to go through the extensive collection of noctilucent clouds to, I've not had anyone say, I saw a noctilucent cloud and it was in the shape of a world, what's going on here? But mm. I have seen and we have shared noctilucent clouds in the shape of worlds, which were definitely 
um, rocket for, as a result of rocket launches, because once a rocket goes up into the atmosphere, it will be producing a kind of pretty straight arc of contrail, condensation trail, um, <laughs> but that soon gets distorted by the winds because the atmosphere is very stratified and the winds will move in different directions at different levels. And this is um, revealed very clearly by um, a an aircraft condensation or a rocket condensation trail as it goes right up through the upper atmosphere. And you see then very much a uh, often kind of change the the wind direction changes this way and that and the trail appears to kind of be contorted into a curl or a way a, a swirl of some sort but as for the natural ones the type four of these patterns of noctilucent clouds yeah i don't know i can't say i've seen them um what have you ever seen photographs of them jeff yeah i have i think they're a lot more vivid in my memory than they were at the time and they were rotating as well so yeah. <laughs> i'm beginning to think that so but I've well, they're obviously thought, a thing they're obviously a thing otherwise they wouldn't make it one of the four types would they yeah i i, I have to say that they uh, they have to be um to do with uh, rocket exhaust uh the ones i've seen on on the interweb and um mm. But um, I didn't know they were, I thought they were all um, artificial. Uh, I, I I didn't realize that you could get natural. But there again, it's the same, yeah, it's a, it's the same wind direction and wind speed, isn't it? That um, you'd only need to want to form in a straight line and then get affected by the winds in the same way yeah. that a uh, rocket exhaust would to, to get the same effect. But Whereas um, the, the, the ripples that, you know, are, seem to me kind of fairly close. So the rippled ones, that's the one that they describe as billows um, mm. that, that you just need shearing winds to produce those. So the, the wind above where the noctilucent cloud is and beneath need to really differ in a significant uh, way in terms of mm. directional speeds that sets up this this kind of rising and dipping in the flow of uh, where the cloud is. The shearing effect is so um, much of a factor in producing billows of clouds down near, much nearer to us, which we're familiar with, we call them undulatus clouds. Well, those That's kind right, of yeah, undulate, yeah. yeah, and those undulations are um, seen quite frequently up there frequently up there in noctilucent clouds it's got to be to do with shearing winds again um and the other ones that the, the the kind of bands those strike me more like feathers or or like the marbling of fat in in beef uh, a little bit like um more like the kind of cirrus clouds that yeah, we used yeah. to you know, feather yeah, the hair like so i was just thinking with it with wind shear uh producing the ripples that there's a chance someone could actually see a kelvin helmholtz noctilucent cloud <laughs> so yeah. i think we need we need to get a, pr a prize together ready yeah, for the that first was... to, to photograph one something of that. <laughs> wouldn't it that really would. you get a lot of points for that one <laughs> <laughs> i'll leave that down to the cloud appreciation society <laughs> and actually, Gavin, j just before we finish, you you mentioned just now that um, 
of course, these noxalucent clouds are, are there all the time. It's just that we can only see them at certain times of the day. But that's another fascinating thing about these clouds is that they can be really incredibly long lived. And I mean, uh, hundreds of years old, can't they? Yeah, and this is a term that I was not familiar with, um, you know, until recently. But I, people have been calling them fossil clouds. Yes, yes. Have you heard of that? Clouds. Yes. Fossilized clouds. Yes, again, clouds. only recently. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're uh, it's around a, for so long. It's a fascinating um, term for me because it seems to contradict everything we think about. Mm. Um, clouds normally they are the most ephemeral of um, phenomena clouds because of this constant dance of water between visibility and invisibility between changing from an invisible water vapor to droplets or ice crystals that um, transition or that change of phase for water is constantly happening in the lower atmosphere it's constantly in transition um and that's part of the magic of clouds it's part of the what characterizes clouds so the fact that these ice crystals are up in uh the top of the mesosphere these noctilucent cloud ice crystals can persist in this sort of alien environment as far as we're concerned for uh, huge lengths of time. I guess we're talking decades. I don't know. Um, uh, the fact that they can is, again, and just one other way in which noctilucent clouds uh, are extraordinary and uh, mysterious and worthy of uh, scientific study. And, but but you too know, elusive the, to study. Too elusive yes. and just in a difficult place to study, uh, but it's what, one of the things that makes them fascinating. Yeah, absolutely. Um, if anyone's interested in the paper that Gavin mentioned earlier in the show, um, it's in Geophysical Research Letters on the Anthropogenic Impact on Long-Term Evolution of Noctilucent Clouds in 2018. And keep an eye out for further research coming out from NASA and hopefully the Met Office in the not too distant future but that is all we have time for today thank you so much for listening happy cloud spotting and if you do spot any interesting clouds especially any noctilucent clouds we'd love to see them you can send them to us at the met office use the hashtag love uk weather on social media and you can submit them to the cloud appreciation society gavin what's the best way for people to do that if they just um, go to the website and go to the gallery, there's a little button they can press to submit a to submit a um, an image, and we'd love to share them. We love it when people send in noctilucent clouds. We've got a good collection of them now. Wonderful, easy peasy. So thank you ever so much to our guest Gavin Priestopenny and to my co-host Jeff, and we look forward to chatting again soon. Mostly Weather is produced by me, Helen Roberts, and the Mostly Weather team. Editor is Adrian Holloway, and Mostly Weather is a podcast by the UK Met Office.